So this, after, this evening I'm going to talk about working with the five hindrances. Uh, these hindrances are not only uh, appearing to us in meditation retreats, but also in their life. They are very common, though we may not recognize them. The five hindrances are sensual desires, aversion or ill will, Anger, then uh, sleepiness and dullness, or sloth and torpor, and restlessness and worry and doubt. Traditionally, they are listed like that in the scriptures, but they don't arise in that order. So I'm going to start with uh, uh, some of them that uh, are very familiar to us as soon as we come to to meditation. Maybe the first one is sloth and torpor, restlessness, I mean uh, sleepiness and uh, dullness. It's very common, especially the first day of our retreat. We come here, we are coming from a busy life with where there's a lot of stimulation, you know, and then we come here, there's not a lot actually going on. There seems to be a lot, but actually not a lot. There's no television, there's no music, there's nothing. So we come here and sit, and especially the first seat in the morning. And then uh, we give instructions, please sit comfortably, feel at ease, relax, and then we tell you even how to sit in a very comfortable posture. And then you bring two cushions. I can see even some people have two cushions. I don't know the second for what. I don't know. But also I've been in meditation center where I can see small cushions for the hand to be comfortable. So one cushion for sitting and one cushion for the hand, another cushion for the hand. And then people start dozing off immediately because everything is so comfortable. And then we tell them, uh, breathe slowly and deeply, close your eyes, <laughs> everything is comfy. <laughs> and then you see people nodding off right away. So that's uh, sleepiness and dullness. It's a very common hindrance, actually. When we have sleepiness and dullness, our mind feels foggy. It reminds me when I'm an airplane coming and I see many clouds actually passing in the sky and you can't see, uh, when you look down you can't see the building down. So the same thing actually uh, when you have sleepiness, there's many clouds going through your mind and you're not, you cannot see even the breath, a simple thing like this, let's say observe the breath cannot observe it because your mind is foggy. So all hindrances, there's a way how to deal with them actually, which is in a way very general. Uh, you make the hindrance the subject of your meditation. That's the best way. So when sleepiness arises, you make sleepiness the subject of your meditation and be mindful of it, sleepiness, sleepiness, sleepiness. So, now, if you don't have enough mindfulness, then uh, even when you say sleepiness, sleepiness, mentally not sleepiness, sleepiness, it may not go away. So then you can apply other specific antidotes uh, to sleepiness. But before you do that, it's very important that you explore and exhaust all the tools that you have under mindfulness practice. The very first one I told you is to be mindful of sleepiness itself and uh, try to investigate how does it feel when you are sleepy? How does the mind feel? Do you feel some confusion? Do you feel... There must be something you feel in the mind, sometimes there's heaviness. 
Sometimes uh, when sleepiness arises, the body is very heavy, the eyelids and the head is really nodding, slouching like this. So just investigate how sleepiness affects your body and how it affects your mind. And also it's not permanent state actually, it changes, you know. Sometimes it starts as a, a small nodding like this and then all the way that then you go, it's okay. You, <laughs> you go down all the way. <laughs> so these things can uh, help you to really find out the initial signs of sleepiness if you watch, if you investigate. And then uh, also not identify with a sp uh, certain hindrance also that helps. So you don't identify yourself with a certain hindrance. Let's say sleepiness. You don't identify yourself with sleepiness. I'm a sleepy person. I'm a night person. I'm a day person. We have identified, identified ourselves with sleepiness actually. And we have even made a project, okay, I can sleep better than others. I used to do actually such a thing like that. When I was in school, and it was a boarding school in Uganda, we had sleeping competition. <laughs> Guess what? I was number one. <laughs> I used even to put a pillow. We had the prefect who always wake up, woke up us. So I, I, I removed the springs from the bed and put a pillow like this. So when he came, he didn't know that I'm sleeping there. <laughs> he thought it was an empty bed. I was the early wake-up call to go to the chapel. I hated that. <laughs> so I didn't want to go to the chapel that early, <laughs> especially over the weekend. So I loved sleeping, actually. It's amazing that I'm the opposite now. <laughs> I'm on the opposite spectrum. So uh, actually what happens when sleepiness arises, it disguises itself. It masquerades itself as uh, self-compassion. <laughs> now it comes here. Be good to yourself. Come on. Have a nap. <laughs> and you go for a nap. Uh, you, you see, you should be good to yourself. Don't be too harsh to yourself. I've seen this happening actually because uh, part of my job at the monastery was to, uh, I was a retreat coordinator. So, and then people tell me, really, you know, at home, usually at this time I'm taking a nap. Can I take, can I take a nap? So people really actually do that kind of thing, self-compassion. You know, you hear you wake up at 5.30. At home, I wake up at 8.30. I'm missing some sleep. I should have a nap. So this is kind of self-compassion that uh, sleepiness disguises it as self-compassion. There's also another way that uh, sleepiness disguises it itself, especially when you're meditating here. <laughs> For some reason, I don't know, you tend to think that that's concentration. So you're meditating, sleepiness kicks in, and then you think that you are getting good concentration, actually. Some people even mistake it for jhanas. You know, jhanas, are, those are deep concentration states. I mean, there's a difference between sleepiness and jhanas. But people say, ah, oh, yeah, I've attained first jhana, second jhana, third jhana, like this. So, actually, we have to be very careful. Because in jhanas, you know that there's something happening. When you have sleepiness you actually don't know what's going on. <laughs> it's very simple. <laughs> You're oblivious to what's going on, actually. You don't know. So, the Buddha gave different techniques which look like mundane, but they work. <laughs> uh, when you have a lot of sleepiness, in case, let's say, mindfulness is not enough to uh, to remove this, uh, this drowsiness and sleepiness. He gave the technique of uh, actually, let's say, pulling your ears. <laughs> Probably you see the Buddha. <laughs> the ears are long. I don't know whether that's the technique he applied himself. <laughs> but... In Africa, in Kenya, we have Maasai tribe. They have long ears, actually. 
So maybe that actually that's people mistake that for Buddha have to Buddha having pulled his ears to overcome sleepiness, but actually this is a sign of a great person. There are thirty-two signs of a great person. So this is a sign of a great person, long ears like that. So don't mistake it for <laughs> Buddha having pulled his ears. <laughs> but that's a technique he gave. Like you rub it, you can try it. Actually, even on a cold, cold weather, I learned that one when I was in Caribbean. When the weather is cold, if you rub your ears, it, you, you generate heat. But of course, uh, when you are sleepy, and so you can pull your ears. Not when you have earring. <laughs> it will be very painful. <laughs> yeah, pull them and then uh, it will actually help to overcome sleepiness. And also rubbing your limbs with hands, also that's very helpful. You can rub that uh, and you can overcome it. And also reciting a very inspiring passage from the Buddha's teaching. Some of the passages are very inspiring. And if you know Pali language, that would be good. <laughs> if you don't, you can recite them in English. Yeah, so recall the Dhamma, the teaching that really you like so much. For me, the discourse on loving kindness, I like it very much. So sometime when I'm bored or something, sleepiness, uh, I just recite that in Pali. Like this. So whenever I recite that discourse, I feel very happy. This is a discourse on loving kindness. That actually you recite every evening here in English. It's so beautiful. So for me, that's very inspiring, inspiring discourse. So find something inspiring, and then you can uh, recall it, bring it to mind when there's a lot of sleepiness, so you can activate your mind. Another one is to get up from your seat. You can sprinkle water in your face and look up around all directions. It may, uh, you can look at stars and different constellations of stars, so that helps. So this is very interesting, actually, uh, that the Buddha knew things which are very practical. <laughs> Really, when you get up and stand up and then look at the stars, they're very interesting. You can't fall asleep when you're looking at stars. So this also helps. Another one is to look in bright light. Like now, this, you can look outside the window, there's bright light, and that can help also. Another one is standing meditation. When you feel a lot of sleepiness, it's okay to stand up and meditate while you're standing, maybe for a couple of minutes. Right? But don't close your eyes when you're standing. I remember when I was teaching in Brazil, somebody fell down like this. I felt so bad. I say, wow, this is the first time somebody's going to die when I'm teaching. <laughs> actually, I was more worried than her, actually. So, but she was fine, actually. So please don't close your eyes when you're standing. Open your eyes. Then another one, if that doesn't work, go for another one. It's walking meditation. Go for walking meditation and then uh, make big strides. Right? Big strides. And then you walk a little bit faster. That will help you, actually. If you do sleep while walking, let me know. I'll give you a hotline, actually. <laughs> I like to know myself. Because I've never had somebody sleeping while walking. Yes, um, please let me know if that happens, but it's, it's unlikely that you sleep. If you do, Buddha also gave something very interesting. Go for a nap. That will do it. That will help you to overcome sleepiness. But actually, this is not actually a technique per se, but it's just the last resort. <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> Go for it. But this way of actually taking a nap is not the way you take naps usually. It's called going in, into what we call a lioness position. You, basically, you lie on your right side and then uh, the, the uh, foot on top of the other. And as you're lying down, you make a determination that I'll wake up and not indulge in sleepiness. I'm, I'm not going to indulge in even lying down. Um, so you really actually make that strong determination. So you actually lie down with mindfulness, not just rolling to the bed, okay, you know, 
I just want to, to get rid of this sleepiness. But actually, this is a determination to wake up and just to have a little bit of ref refreshing the mind and body. Yes, there are many techniques and be very creative. <laughs> I remember in Burma, one, one monk was very creative, actually. He had a lot of sleepiness. All the time he was nodding like this. He just sat in front of a pole. At Panditarama, the, the meditation has big, big poles. Big, big poles. Yeah. So he sat in front of a concrete pole. Every time he was nodding like this, he tended towards it. I thought he was going to smash his head, actually. I was so worried. <laughs> and sitting next to him, I had a lot of restlessness. I said, what are you doing to yourself? <laughs> if you want those tough measures, you might as well stand, I mean, have some sponge. Yeah. So you make a spongy pole, you know, but not concrete call, pole, you know. It was terrible, actually. But what, funny enough, actually, this monk never hit this pole. That's, he was very creative, actually. He was from China. And I still remember him vividly as he was nodding off all the time like this. So uh, be very creative, but don't go to, uh, next to the pole <laughs> so, or sitting at the edge of the river or something like that. <laughs> Joseph Goldenstein talked about a Korean monk who was meditating with a knife sharp here and determined not to, not to nod off like this. Some people are very funny actually when it comes to creativeness. But I had people actually using matchbox, a matchbox and put it on a head like this. So <laughs> they put it there as they're meditating like this. If it falls off, that's a very good sign that they're asleep, so they wake up. Yeah, so anyway, I think these hindrances allows a lot of room for creativeness, creativity. So do whatever you can do, but uh, for me, some of the techniques that I use that are, um, are very helpful is to change the meditation subject. Before even I stand up, there are many things I can do to change the meditation subject. Let's say when I'm, I'm practicing breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, the mind gets sleepy and bored. I'll just increase my meditation subjects. I just switch from breathing to touch points. So as you're sitting here, there are touch points. The hand touching the hand, another hand, the buttocks, and then it, the ankle, the knees, and all that. So I increase the objects that I'm observing from the breath to touching, to sitting, sitting, touching, touching. So that means I'm giving more homework to my mind. Instead of in and out, or yeah, is that all in life? In and out. <laughs> what do you expect? The mind will get bored. The mind is used to do so many things, check email, Facebook, multitasking and all this. And here you come to meditation, it's just in and out. What do you expect? So what I do is to give the mind more objects to observe. So then it will stay active. I will activate my mind. And then uh, that helps to overcome sleepiness. So changing the meditation subject helps. Now, whether you overcome sleepiness or not, that's not the point. It's the point, can you understand? Can you understand sleepiness, how it arises? how it changes, the, its impermanence nature, all these things. Because to overcome sleepiness completely and also is when you attain final enlightenment. So before that, take it easy. <laughs> Try to apply all the techniques. All right? So uh, don't make it personal. Don't take sleepiness personal. It's an impersonal state of mind. It just arrives, come and go. Don't hold on to it. Don't identify yourself with sleepiness. Recognize it. Investigate it. No, don't identify yourself with sleepiness. Now, it's very clear that when you have sleepiness, there's not enough energy over concentration. So there's not enough energy. So anything that you do to raise energy, to rev up energy, will help you to overcome sleepiness. So, as I said, they don't arise in that order I gave you. Let, let us find another one. Maybe desire. Is that common to you? 
Okay, you come here on a retreat, right? And then uh, you really want to meditate. Actually, after all, coming to meditation retreat is there was some kind of form of desire, isn't it? If you had no desire, you you wouldn't come here. So there's that kind of uh, uh, impulse. Oh, I need to go to POC. So I think I would call that uh, chanda, wish to do, and. Uh, it's very good at the very beginning to plan your coming here and all that. When you come here, your expectation and all that, you should let go of that, you know, because expectation is a form of desire, expecting mind states, exalted mind states and all that. So that's a form of desire that is not going to take you anywhere. So you start registering for the retreat here and then you get a yogi job yogi job you have a desire certain desire to have to do a certain yoga yogi job let's say washing plates and all that so you start actually your desire starts there as you are registering i like to do this job and all this and then you come here to start your meditation then there's some kind of desire that comes in okay i want to sit here this cushion and all these things. This is the best cushion, you know? Yeah, so the, even we extend our desire to cushions. This is my best cushion. This is my best spot of these things. Now, it's that beginning, actually. There are few, I can give you some of them, but maybe you are not mindful of them. Uh, one of them is actually your walking space. You try to find out at IMS the best walking spot that you are going to it start creeping in. Should you find another person there, that <laughs> your day will be spoiled. <laughs> this is another one. Schedule. Ah, that's a big one. Can you uh, uh, remi- remember how many times you check that schedule? Even you know when you're scheduled for the, the morning interview, you know it. That, okay, at 10.30 I have to meet Bante. You know it. But still, as you go there, you take a look. <laughs> Just a quick look. Quick one. <laughs> Actually, I stay up there. <laughs> it's very interesting. As I come down, I see people there, around there. <laughs> I say, Wow. <laughs> Desire for stimulation. We don't have a lot of here going on. <laughs> we want to read something as if it's a whole thesis there. <laughs> All notes there. <laughs> I don't know whether you're looking for spelling mistakes. I don't know. I mean, everything spelled very well. It's very clear. A quick look, maybe a glance could be okay. But people spend ages, ages. Another one, that was specific to me when I was a yogi here, tea. Here is this lovely tea. <laughs> After meditation, and it's okay, let me go and have a cup of tea. Here, here there's a lot of teas, assorted teas, actually. Actually, last time I gave a talk here, and then there's a professor from Boston University sent me tea at Bavano Society. <laughs> Please, <laughs> I love tea, actually. <laughs> How about tea? Uh, so uh, you may not send me to Uganda, but I'm just telling you, for me, that was my obsession. Instead of going for walking meditation, I would just have a, a cup of tea. But I didn't know that it was desire. I thought it was a kind of okay, actually, to have a cup of tea. But I found out it's one tea after the other, different kind of tea. It was just getting... <laughs> Another one uh, is actually... I don't know about you, but as a yogi here, many years ago, I used to want to take a shower in the physically challenged bathroom because they were big. They were very big. I didn't want to. <laughs> I used to stay over there. So I didn't want to take a shower in other places which are small. It took me a while to find out that it was actually desire, actually. 
have more space as I was taking shower. So be careful, actually, these things are very common than you can imagine. I mean, this is useless, actually. I don't know even why, actually. I was really desiring to take a shower in this bathroom. <laughs> They're bigger than the other, comfortable. <laughs> but there's something which was going on in my mind. Another one you have to be careful of is actually teachers. Uh, for when I was on a three-month retreat here, I wanted to have an interview with Sharon and an interview with Joseph. <laughs> Other teacher I didn't know, I didn't really care so much. <laughs> so there's that desire for, to have an interview with the teacher until I dropped it. I said, okay, I don't mind, actually. Whomever I'm going to have an interview, I don't really mind, actually. And my friend wrote me a note, you know, you should have an interview with Carol. And I said, forget about it. I will just have an interview with any teacher. So you can also start desire to have an interview with a teacher, a specific teacher. So you watch that also. Another one, a big one, this is a big one, food. Ah, that's a big piece as far as the retreat is concerned. So you want to watch during breakfast, or, and, but especially, I think, lunchtime, because food is great, usually in meditation centers, especially this one. Food is wonderful. So... Uh, Watch as you are getting your plate, right? As you watch your plate. Now they have put plates near the table. When I was a yogi here, they were, not, they were very far. And now you have a plate near the table, and then you can pick the biggest plate so that you have the biggest lunch. And those people who take the eight precepts, that's a good justification <laughs> that you need more food. <laughs> so see the amount of food they're putting on a plate. And also as you are getting the food, you see how much desire is arising. There's salivating and all these things. and Forward, yeah? forward, leaning forward and all these things. These are the things you have to watch. They're not so big, but actually they are pervasive in our life. Right. So the way we deal with desire is actually in the same way we recognize desire as desire. Desire, and desire arises, we make it as a subject of meditation. Desire. Desire, desire. This is very simple, but I'm telling you it has an impact. When you are able to spot desire when it's arising, wow, that can make a difference between being bondage or being free. Because when we notice it, then we can deal with it. But if we don't notice it, then it just takes us for a ride. Yes. So then investigate. How does it feel when desire arises? that reaching forward, you know, that leaning forward. So you can feel it in the body. It's very intense. Is it increasing or decreasing? So you have to investigate for yourself. The impermanence nature of desire. And also uh, non-identification. Don't identify yourself with desire. If desire is like any other mind states, you know. It's just arising into state. So just be aware of that. And so desire is not me, it's not myself. It's something that's arising in my experience. Many antidotes actually that helps to overcome desire again. If we know that this is something that I'm the object of desire that is changing is gonna change, it's impermanent. Also, that, is, that helps to deal with the desire that is changing. Usually, when we have desire for something, there's a presumption that these things will stay the same. So we, we kind of uh, um, project that this thing is going to stay the same. But as we know that things are changing all the time, that can help us, help us to deal with the, uh, desire. Next one. Let's say... What else? Maybe. For instance, aversion also can arise. Aversion. Aversion is frustrated desire. Desire is bipolar. It has two sides, desire. One is desire to get. Another one is desire to get rid of. So that's uh, an aversion. Uh, uh, ill will. Ill will simply means that your will is ill, actually. <laughs> that's what it means. <laughs> You need to substitute it and get what we and do what we call goodwill. So uh, anger is also aversion, kind of aversion, sadness, sorrow, 
fear, anxiety, all those actually are friends and brothers and sisters of aversion. So aversion actually is very common also in a retreat setting, but also in day life actually. In a retreat setting, you come here, you have good intention actually to practice meditation. Everything is fine, but all of a sudden there's a mind state that arises which is called aversion. And then you don't like the cushion you're sitting on, you don't like the yogi job, you know. Yes. Then you don't like how the yogis walk, you know, others are walking very fast. Uh, then we get really annoyed. Why are they walking very fast? They should walk slowly. <laughs> then uh, even looks for other people the way they look. So <laughs> I don't like the way he looks or she looks. <laughs> that can happen actually with uh, paids and many things actually. You are lucky these days, we don't have uh, double beds. I mean, we have singles, but uh, most of the aversion that arose when I was still a yogi here was people snoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that also kind of puts off us. Another thing is uh, when you are seated in meditation and all of a sudden somebody coughs and clear throat. That also can spoil the whole of our meditation. I don't know, when we come to meditation, we become so sensitive. Even if so, small things like that really can annoy us, you know. Even looking at somebody's socks, which is not washed, you know, it's very dirty. <laughs> <laughs> so that can trigger us. <laughs> so it's amazing when you're on a retreat, actually, the things that comes up, actually. So when aversion arises, so you just become aware of aversion, aversion, you make it a subject of meditation. If you don't do that, then uh, it will take you for a ride before you know where you are. You have fully blown aversion and anger. As a young boy, Growing up in Uganda, I had a terrible version. Actually, it started with uh, my uh, my allergies. I had, I had I have a strong allergies to red meat, it's very strong. Especially those days when I was not a meditator. So I didn't eat beef, bacon, and all this kind of food, uh, meat, and all that. Now, I was the only child. In, in our family that didn't, uh, I mean, who had this kind of strong allergies. Now, whenever I saw meat, I was so, um, I didn't like it at all, actually. So they forced me to eat it, and I ate it, and of course, I, I, throw, up, I, I throw up and all that. So now, they started smoking it, so even smelling, uh, I didn't like it. Then, then people told me, can you touch here as I'm cutting? They used to give me a piece of it. I said, please, hold, I'm cutting. So even touching meat, I was having aversion as they're cutting it. And then eating on a plate, the same plate that uh, they have used for meat, also I used to have aversion around that. So as I grew up, I didn't like that. Now, I found out actually that uh, after meditation, I don't have the same aversion that I had when I was young. Because as a young person, I used to climb trees to go from smoke when they're roasting the meat. meat. I used to go very far away and climb a tree and stay there until they have stopped smoking the meat. Because even the smoke made me sick. But when I... I compare those days to the, up to now, I don't eat red meat. I found out actually I was not mindful of anger and aversion. And what I did back then is to multiply aversion into the senses I had. 
It was just a small version of not eating meat, tasting meat, but I multiplied it. By seeing meat, I got angry about it. By smelling it, I got angry. By thinking of, of, of meat, I got angry. You see how, where I was going all the time? But after I started meditation, it doesn't bother me so much. What bothers me is not to eat it. But thinking about it, there's no problem. Smelling it, there's no problem. So there's a message here. When anger rises and you're not mindful, you are going to multiply it by two, three, four, depending on the senses you have. Let's say if I don't want you, maybe you touched me. Eh? Oops, <laughs> I shouldn't touch a monk. <laughs> you touched me and I start hating you. That means whenever I see you, I'll feel angry. Whenever I think of you, I'll feel angry. Whenever, I, let's say you have a kind of a perfume that I sensed, I do like this, sniffing like this. That must be. <laughs> so you see how many times you multiply your anger by a certain factor when you're not mindful. But if you're not anger's anger and you stop at it, there's no problem. But if you allow it to happen and it takes over, then you are going to have a lot of problems. You are going to increase by your anger, you are going to increase it by 10%, 20%, 30%, 50% because of the different senses you have. Especially seeing is a very strong sense. As soon as you see somebody, you look there. <laughs> In fact, how many times uh, maybe somebody make you angry and you just pass the other way around? You don't want to see them, you, know? you don't want to hear them, you don't want to think about them. So, if you are mindful and you just become aware of anger, 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 then you, you investigate how you feel when anger rises. Do you feel tightness, tension in a body? Sometimes anger starts as irritation, then it increases. So how does that anger affect your, your mind? So you can feel uh, the, also the tightness and tension and the increment of, from uh, irritation to resentment to anger to grudge. You can see the different increments, actually. And you can see the impermanence nature of it, actually. That's changing all the time. It's not the same thing. People think that they're, they're angry the whole day, the whole retreat, but actually that, that's not true. It's not that we don't have enough mindfulness to pick up the floor. That's why we think that, oh, I'm angry for the whole one hour. I'm angry for the whole five hours. No, it's impossible. Because it's a mind state. It's rising and passing out all the time. So, <laughs> I was teaching down Australia, I remember. And uh, <clears throat> somebody didn't know how to meditate. And the wife knew how to meditate. The husband didn't know how to meditate. Then, when I finished uh, one session, he wanted to go and dodge meditation. And then he found the park, uh, the parking lot, full of cars, so he could not get the car out. <laughs> so I was teaching about anger management. <laughs> so he he was he, he he was forced by the circumstances to listen to my talk in Melbourne, <laughs> and I was talking, and then he grasped some techniques. He grasped some techniques after the talk. Uh, everybody left, and then the, the, his car was free. He drove, and then in the morning he went to work. I don't know who triggered anger. I think the boss. I don't know. I'm telling you, he applied the techniques I gave him. He said, "You know, thank you very much, Bante. Before I was angry for the whole day, but now I know how to solve this anger." He was so happy that he found the trick to cut off the floor <laughs> and say, I'm not angry anymore. It's good that I listened to your talk. <laughs> it's good that somebody broke my car and I couldn't leave. <laughs> Before that, he, he, he believed that he was angry for the whole day, for the whole day. <laughs> but now he could see anger from moment to moment, one anger rising, another anger rising, another. I mean, you can be angry about the memory <laughs> of anger, 
Actually, most of the time we are angry of the memory. But the memory is not anger. It's just what we recall. And in fact, whenever we bring uh, our mind to these circumstances, and we remember, then we get even more angry. That's, why, that's the problem of not being mindful. Because you even become angry of the memory. <laughs> eh? And also you become angry about being angry. <laughs> Angry being about being angry, angry about being angry. There's no end, actually. So it's just a kind of multiplying itself. There is one object in meditation that really arouses a lot of aversion is pain. It's a very repulsive object whenever pain arises. Even if you are a good yogi, you want to be happy and all that, sometimes pain pushes the, the button. And we watch pain with this kind of aversion, sitting here, and then you start wrestling with the pain, you know? Yeah, so who's going to win, actually? So we really develop a tough face, and then we sail through all these sensations with aversion. When that happens, you have to deal with pain in a very skillful way, that you watch it not from a point of aversion, but from a relaxed point of, view, point of view, with mindfulness, you start to watch what uh, different strands of pain coming out of your pain, pain. Investigate also different sensation. Is it pulsating? Is it pressure? Is it tightness? Different sensation. Is this rising? Is it passing away? When we do this, then the, this ghost thing in our knee, wherever the pain is, we, we think to think this very, we think it's very solid. So every time we think it's something that is torturing us, that's tormenting us, because we are not mindful enough. But once we have enough mindfulness, then we split that one, we see different strands that make what you call pain, and then we see different sensation, heat, and pressure and tightness, that can help us to deal with pain and with aversion towards pain. So as you watch pain, see the different emotion that arises. Sometimes is fear, sometimes is uh, anxiety. Sometimes actually, <coughs> when we have pain, then we say, oh, this leg is going to really pay, uh, be, be cut off actually. Sometimes when pain arises, you feel that this leg is going to be amputated, actually. So then you start worrying, how am I going to walk? How am I going to explain my friend? He told me not to come on a retreat, and I made it. <laughs> then all this kind of story, we add on to pain, and it makes it even terrible and fearful, and we develop a lot of aversion. We project pain in the future, or it's going to be like this. We project. This is how it's going to be. It's going to be terrible. So if you do the math, the present pain plus the future pain, <laughs> it's bigger, definitely, and you'll be afraid. Sometimes it's the past pain with the present. So we say, oh, you know, last time I did a retreat at Goenka, and I, this, then, oh, I had that pain, and now it comes here. Here it comes now. Then we start adding the past pain with the present pain and then we start having a lot of pain and then a lot of fear and fear is part of aversion. That's why I say that watch pain can be a breeding ground for aversion <laughs> when you have pain. Whether it's emotion pain or physical pain, uh, be on your guard <coughs> to deal with the, uh, this kind of aversion. Of course, the Antidote to aversion or anger is metta loving kindness. If you don't have enough mindfulness to watch it rising and passing away, so you actually resort to metta. May I be well, happy, and peaceful. May I be free from suffering and its causes. I remember I had a lot of pain and uh, it was uh, bringing a lot of aversion. So for the first time, and no teacher taught me this. What I did, I sent Meta to my knee. <laughs> I said, this my friend. I actually did like this. I was many years ago, 2000, I think, 2001. 
I was meditating in San Jose and this pain. Actually, it came due to the physical pain. I lifted some beds and all these things. So then I started training as a monk and this, this monk from Burma was very demanding. He told me to sit for one hour and a half and two hours. He said, don't be like sissy, you know, just keep on. <laughs> Let people are sitting for an hour and you'll be training a monk or sit for an hour. What are you doing? So, <laughs> so I start pushing an extra envelope going for an hour and a half, but it was pain, painful, very painful because of lifting many beds. And so then it came and I was sweating actually. Every time I got to report to him, you know, the way you have to report every day, um, every, every other day you have to report to, to the monk, the chief monk. And then every day he asks you, how long did you sit? <laughs> and then you have to say one hour. And then next day you say also one hour, they say, you're not improving. You must say one hour and then another time you, stay one, you say one hour and a half maybe. Like, then you're improving. So then I was really forced kind of to really increase my time of sitting. But it was very, very painful. I found out a trick. I said, okay, instead of hitting this knee, I'm going to have a, a, a friendly relationship with this knee. So whenever pain came, I would say, oh, my friend, you, here you are, you came. I would do like this. <laughs> so actually, I felt some softness when the pain was coming in the knee. And then I said, may I be well up and peaceful. And, all that. and very soon, I found out some relief, actually. Later on, I found out how to deal with pain with using insights, like breaking pain into elements. Like instead of seeing pain as a like a solid thing, I would see pain as pressure, tightness, and pulling, and hardness, and softness. Once I broke through that, I'm telling you, I went with, confidently to him. I sat for two hours. <laughs> because I knew, first it was mental having kindness, and I felt very good. I increased my sitting, and later on I found out how to break it into different components. Yes. So yes, you can send metta uh, loving kindness. Lastly, you can reflect on the love karma. And this is another teaching that we, are not, we haven't said here, but I'm sure people know what's karma. Karma is the uh, evolution actions. And the consequences of that is that um, you can reflect on that, the, the consequences of the evolution formations, I mean evolution actions. So that's another subject, but anyway, I think you have enough t uh, tips for this. Now, restlessness. Restlessness is uh, come also with worry. The hindrance is called restlessness and worry. Sometimes we meditate, here, and they have excessive energy, actually. A lot of energy, especially towards the end of the retreat, and uh, we want to really meditate very hard before we got that bus. <laughs> so we put forward a lot of energy in excess of concentration. So that imbalances, imbalance creates that kind of restlessness. And also worry, worrying about what good things we, we, we left and undone and also even the unskillful things that we committed. So it's about uh, commission and omission. So that causes worry. This kind of worry also goes into what we call self-guilt. Uh, we feel guilt about things that we've done. We go through more inventory when we sit here. Oh, I forgot to water my plants. I forgot to leave my pet with some my friend. All these things actually start coming up. <clears throat> the way we deal with restlessness and worry, again, it's the same way. Recognize it, uh, restlessness and restlessness. Sometimes it's due to thinking. Thinking is just about anything under the sun. So we think. Human beings want to think, you know. So thinking, thinking all the time. So then you feel restless. So the best way then is to not thinking, thinking, thinking. That can actually help to uh, release the, that energy. Because you can see the thinking. You don't get lost in thoughts, but you're mindful of the thoughts. There's, those are two different things. Uh, mindfulness of thinking is okay, but getting lost in the thoughts, that's the problem. 
And that's what causes restlessness. So if it doesn't go for some reasons, so try to go under what's behind that thinking. Right? Thinking, thinking. There must be something behind that thinking. It might be because of aversion, because of desire or confusion. Once you go under it, then you can remove the springboards that is nourishing that kind of restlessness. Don't allow restlessness to go for a long time. <laughs> so it's better sometime to come back the body. Feel the body sitting, sitting, touching like this. And then go back. That kind of uh, uh, disconnects or losing the momentum of the thoughts or restlessness when you come to the body. Then go back and see how it feels. <clears throat> if it's still present, try to investigate how it feels in the body, how it feels in the mind. When you have restlessness, there's some form of agitation in the body. And then you can feel it in the shoulders, wherever it's localized in the body. And don't identify this mind state with yourself. Non-identification. Don't identify yourself with this mind state. <coughs> There's also something that I do actually uh, when I have restlessness is also to remember inspiring verses from the Buddha's teaching like metta loving kindness that can be very helpful. Something inspiring. You can, it can be a, a line that you remember from the teachings of the Buddha or any other teaching probably. But um, for me, this is something that I'm referring to. That helps because you can inspire the mind. And also, it, that's very helpful. Of course, getting familiar with the teaching of the Buddha, um, that's not clear. Because sometimes we feel restless because we are not clear with the teaching and all that. That can be also very helpful. Lastly, there's doubt. Before we go to doubt, I want to remind you, restlessness can disguise itself as energy. When you are, hey, I'm working very hard, you know. <laughs> so it arises and then you say, oh, you know, I'm really working so hard, actually. So I'm watching the breath very hard and all that. As a matter of fact, actually, if you want to overcome restlessness, if you are observing, let's say, rising and fall of abdomen, let's say, breathing in and breathing out, Maybe you want to drop the object, you drop it. Instead of breathing in and breathing out, just watch on the breathing in and leave the out on. I mean, let, let it go without much energy, focus to watch it. And then sometime you have to drop the whole thing and just hang in there. <laughs> just no object to observe, but just being there, present. What we call choiceless awareness, just being aware of whatever comes without any specific, specific object like that. I find that very helpful. Okay, let's go to doubt. Doubt is uncertainty about uh, the object of meditation, about even your effort to practice meditation. Sometimes we even doubt our ability to practice meditation. We doubt our ability to gain concentration. We doubt the teacher. How, do, how, does this, how do these teachers figure out all these things, you know? <laughs> so, so we really actually doubt whether uh, this teaching can lead to enlightenment. I mean, what has the breath got to do with enlightenment? All people breathing. I mean, what's the difference? Actually, there's a whole lot of difference between other people are breathing and we us who are breathing. For us, we know that we are breathing and we can investigate the breath and all these things. So there's a difference. Breath is a little bit, I mean, uh, doubt is a little bit difficult because it's not localized anywhere in the body like other hindrances like sleepiness and restlessness and all that. So you have to be on top of things, actually. <laughs> you have to be more mindful, really, because it's nourished by ignorance or delusion. It's nourished by ignorance. In a way, we don't believe anything and then we don't practice anything. So we kind of go in a vicious circle 
we don't believe anything because we don't practice anything. We don't practice anything because we don't believe anything. So we go in a loop, kind of a loop. <coughs> Making a strong commitment can help you actually to overcome doubt. You make a, strict, a strong commitment. I'm going to stay with this breath. This one breath. This one step in walking meditation. This one rising and fall. Just make one commitment uh, to just be very keen uh, with mindfulness so that you can at least be in a present moment. Because doubt can only come when we, we are lost in the past and the future. There's no doubt in the present moment if you really uh, you are very keen on a specific object. There's no doubt. Again, <coughs> doubt, uh, we deal with it uh, in the way we deal with other hindrances. You make it the, the subject of meditation. When it arises, doubt, 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 be mindful of doubt. So that also can help you to sidestep the loop, being caught up in doubt. So because you're aware that this is doubt, the problem, if you're not aware, then that's, that's how it takes you for a ride. You can also uh, see whether it's increasing or decreasing, because sometimes doubt builds, you know, without knowing. And then when it builds, it creates what we call pseudo-wisdom, pseudo-wisdom. Uh, it disguises itself. As you, you, you start to be cunning that you know everything. You, you can figure out everything better than the Buddha. <laughs> so you start uh, really uh, kind of ask, uh, come up with many things, intellectual stuff actually, not grounded with practice. So most of it actually is not backed up with practice. And then uh, you start doubting a lot of things. So the best way to deal with doubt is ask questions. That's why we have interviews, actually, to check in with the teacher so that you're on the, to see whether you're on the right track. Of course, reflecting on uh, qualities of the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, these are qualities that uh, maybe you'll learn later on. That's very helpful to bring uh, confidence. So these are the five hindrances, and uh, the first one, uh, you know, sensual desires, uh, the second aversion, restlessness and, restlessness and worry, uh, sloth and torpor and doubt, those are the five hindrances, but that's a summary. There are so many other things that come, but pretty much you deal with them in the same way that you deal with, like, the five hindrances. So let us sit for a moment or two. rising of hindrances is beyond our control, but the awareness of them can make a difference between being caught up and being free from the hindrances. This is a quote from Sharon. Thank you very much for listening and for our practice. May you be free from all hindrances. <laughs> it's possible. If you meditate under the influence of hindrances, you are either under-meditating or mis-meditating. So you have to deal with them so that you can attain awakening. You recycle the hindrances. <laughs> Okay, it's time to go forward.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.